Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined again this week by the enigmatic AP Strange. Welcome back, man. Hey, I'm glad to be back. It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a week, and uh, again, this is the product of the rabbit holes we end up falling down because one image of an alien wearing... Oh, what appears to be a trench coat and a hat and some really weird sunglasses sends us down these uh, very strange paths to um, trying to find alien sightings in which the aliens are trying to look as human as possible. It's a very fun subject. <laughs> it, is a very, it is a very fun subject. And it's uh, we managed to find like, a handful of stories that are just crazy. They're like, even for the normal average kind of uh, stories of aliens appearing in bedrooms or, uh, you know, weird uh, encounters along the road or something like that. Even these go above and beyond. Yeah. I'd have to say so. Um, and they have a they have a real touch of silliness to them too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's almost the heights of absurdity to just think of uh, an alien showing up in in human clothes, and uh, just being like, "Yeah, I I can pass, right? I'm passing for human right now. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> yeah. gonna question this." Yeah, totally, uh, absolutely. So, um. I'm surprised this... we didn't find one that's like three of them stacked on each other's shoulders wearing a trench coat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure something like that's got to exist out in the world. A story even more absurd that, uh, yeah, just has aliens pretending to be, uh, you know, poorly stacked on each other and uh, uh, wobbling all over the place. It's It's right. got to exist. Yeah. So if anybody knows of such a story, please tell us. We're yes, <laughs> please, please check check the links in the show notes. Hit us with all the great stories. But uh, this particular episode uh, stemmed from a photo that I shared, a sketch on Twitter uh, that we all thought was associated with a case uh, from a Spanish woman. But it turns out it, we were wrong. It was from, you know, Lakewood, New Jersey, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spain, New Jersey, they're pretty much the same place. Yeah, pretty much. So, October 1989. Uh and this comes from the uh uh the Albert Rosales humanoid catalog. Quote, a man saw a strange being standing at the foot of his bed staring at him. He described the being as thin with a very prominent chin, slit-like mouth, two small holes for a nose, and a huge black oval-shaped slanted eyes that were partly covered by triangular-shaped sunglasses. The being was wearing a dark suit with a large, broad-brimmed hat. Now, this sketch is as 80s as I think you can get. It's pretty up there. Yeah, I mean the sunglasses are very eighties. Yes, but what what's interesting about this case is that there is another similar case that was reported five years earlier in Germany, of all cases, involving a woman named Franziska Metz, and 
Francisca Betts remembers that two years before she met her future husband, she lived in a suburb on the outskirts of Würzburg. She remembers it as, quote, one of the most horrible events in my life, end quote. As she lay in bed sleeping, something she just doesn't know what suddenly aroused her from her slumber, and at the same moment, she felt a terrible fear. She lay there looking at the apartment window when she suddenly felt a breath of wind and felt as if the door had been opened. But that was completely impossible because Francisca was always very careful and she locked all the doors every night. Her heart was in her throat when she heard steps approaching her bed. Despite her fear, she turned her head with a sudden jerk, and in fact, she confirmed that someone had entered the locked room. There stood a man, which, despite her fear, almost made her laugh. (laughs) According to Francisca, he looked like the stereotypical Humphrey Bogart wearing a heavy coat and hat, just like in Casablanca. The old bogey alien. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But the funniest thing to her was the fact that he was wearing a dark pair of wraparound sunglasses, even though it was the middle of the night. Now, that is weird. Yeah, that is. It's it's extensive. He might have just been a Corey Hart fan, though. Very much. Very true. Uh, It was 1985, 84. Yeah, around there. Right. I don't know if the song was out there, but if it if this sighting was before from before that song came out, I think that this alien is a trendsetter uh, in the world, and it should be recognized as such. He said to her, "I wear my sunglasses <laughs> at night." <laughs> it's just so so great. So, of his face, she could only tell that it was very pale. She could see him clearly since the light from the street lamps shone very brightly. The, quote, man approached her and sat on her bed, lifting her blanket. She was practically paralyzed with terror at this point. She also felt an unbearable cold sensation throughout her body. She turned her head to look out the window since she did not want to see the stranger anymore. What happened next, she does not remember. Her next memory is that she is alone in the bedroom. She checks around the house, and every door is locked, as usual. Yeah, I mean, that that story is pretty scary, even for how absurd and funny Mm -hmm. it is. We're joking around, but it's pretty terrifying, you know? If some alien shows up in your bedroom trying to, I don't know, comfort you with its bullshit clothing, I... I'm not going to be, it's not going to be a pleasant experience for me. It's just not. (laughs) Well, especially it seems like a major violation to lift the blanket because I mean, I think, I think I believed this as a kid and I'm I'm sure it's still true. If you pull the blankets up, the monsters can't get you. So yeah, exactly. That's how that works. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, they can't. Uh, those are the rules as far as I'm concerned, like the elusive rules that, uh, you know, the aliens are supposed to be playing by that, like, you know, every paranormal entity on this planet 
plays by and it just feels like a violation of the rules and i kind of want a referee like a nfl referee in that bedroom to f- throw a flag in yeah. the air and uh you know call a penalty on this alien because it deserves it <laughs> i believe so <laughs> <laughs> that's a flag bogey alien <laughs> can't be doing that <laughs> 10-yard penalty, repeat first down. <laughs> also, the wraparound sunglasses make me think of uh, George King, the contactee with like the mm-hmm. Ethereum Society and everything. Because when he would do his yep. channeling, he had... I'm not sure they were sunglasses, but they were just like this ra- weird wraparound thing that made it look like he had big black eyes. That's kind of what that makes me think of. Yeah. But Yeah. So it's like George King dressed like Humphrey Bogart, only he's an alien with sunglasses on. So... <laughs> Singing Corey Hart. <laughs> Singing Corey Hart. It's just so goddamn amazing. So uh, the the way this episode is going to work is uh, AP and I are going to trade off stories here. So I'm I'm going to hand over the next couple to him. Yeah, because these are fun little ones that I found. Um, the first of which comes from Harold T. Wilkins from his book Flying Saucers Uncensored. And uh, both of these are from the 50s and 60s, so we're going back a ways. <clears throat> and it made me think of, like, the Twilight Zone episode, because we're, we're out of bedroom invaders territory now. We're going public, and it made me think of the Twilight Zone episode, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, where you have, mm-hmm. you know, yep. one, one person in the diner is definitely an alien. So, uh, <laughs> so for this first one, the year 1954, the place... A diner in Kentucky. (laughs) Rod Serling voice. (laughs) A couple eating supper at a local restaurant saw a strange man or an entity sitting at the back of the restaurant. The man was standing still. Sitting still. I can't do the voice. I'm going to lose it. (laughs) The man was sitting still (laughs) with his hands on his knees. He was very tall and his head and shoulders were higher than any other person there. Which also makes me think of the Twilight Zone to serve man where you had the the aliens mm-hmm. with the very tall heads. He, he was silent and sat still staring at everyone. He wore a dark brown suit. He apparently noticed the witnesses sta- looking at him, and he got up and walked out. Now, here's the really weird part. He wore very peculiar five-toed dark brown shoes and had a very narrow heel. So uh, this is all the information we have here But <laughs> on this one. But, um, yeah, I mean... They made the guy feel self-conscious. Right. So do you sympathize with the other patrons of this diner, or do you sympathize with the alien who's just trying to enjoy a meal and he gets stared at by everybody? In I mean, it's restaurant? one question I have, because he didn't seem to be enjoying a meal. You know, he they don't say he had food. Right. He was sitting still with his hands on his knees. So, but... Yeah, it's 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 strange. Um, the five-toed dark brown shoes with a narrow heel are uh, that's kind of mystifying to me because I can't figure out what that's supposed to look like. Like, was he wearing those shoes that were popular for outdoor runners, like the barefoot shoes? Oh, I'm I'm assuming so. I assume that this person, this alien, is totally into toe socks. Totally, yeah, he's into a toe them. socks kind of guy. But that got me thinking, mm-hmm. like. How would you notice the toes on on the shoe? So was it maybe like like he had big bird feet and he had shoes that were built for bird feet? That was kind of what I pictured in my head at one point. And um, that got me thinking, like, 
uh, iconography and depictions of demons often pictured with like chicken feet and stuff like that. So yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's a weird one. <laughs> uh, and if that one was weird, the next one is about to get very weird. <laughs> Cause now, now we're in La Victoria, Lima, Peru, August 19th, 1965. Uh, Dora Nakamura, a waitress at the El Poyon restaurant reported that, a, quote, little man with green skin and only one eye in his forehead entered the restaurant and ordered chicken, quote, with plenty of red pepper and powdered saffron. Speechless, Ms. Nakamura served the dinner and was paid in strange coins with indecipherable signs on them. Attempts to investigate this report were unsuccessful. The witness, cla- claiming she was in a delicate state of health, said the report had been a hoax and she would say no more about it. And that comes from Flying Saucer Review. So. <laughs> <laughs> that one is uh, like, for one, this alien has expensive taste because saffron is not cheap, folks. It is expensive as hell. <laughs> totally down with the saffron here. Uh, I don't understand. Like, uh, I, I, one great thing about this is that AP drew a sketch of this alien in this brilliant. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be maybe in the show notes. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> but the, you know, the little green Cyclops does need his chicken, you know, little green Cyclops has got to eat too. Um, uh, the coins are interesting. That's, that's an interesting aspect to me too. Uh, I feel like coins pop up periodically in uh, some of these tales. And I'm curious what the, what happened to the coins? You know. Yeah, exactly. But. Like, we have we 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 must have them. Like, where are you going to spend those? How the hell? Like, what are they? I want to know what color they are, what they're composed of, what like, the symbols are on them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, we got we got we got evidence here. Unless she really spent the coins and they ended up taking them at the bank or something which is which would be as wild as the entire story yeah and i mean (laughs) i don't know what delicate state of health meant necessarily but like her saying it was a hoax just makes me believe it was a real story more you know yeah yeah i don't want to deal with these saucer people asking me questions for the rest of my life just like nope end of story i made it up get out of here I never want to think about it again. <laughs> Aliens walking in, getting a meal. Uh, we're going to move to an alien walking into a convenience store to buy a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> so uh, this is from Mac Tony's The Crypto Terrestrials, a meditation on indigenous humanoids and the aliens among us, which is an absolutely fantastic book. If you have never read it, it's a very slim volume of about a hundred pages. You can knock it out in a day. Yeah. Uh, and the audiobook is, is also great. I listened to that the other day, but uh, this is the direct quote from a witness named uh, Cartot in um, Mac Tony's used to get uh, uh, witness submitted stories on his blog and stuff. And I think this is where this comes from. Uh, quote, 
When I was 17, I was working in a small convenience store when a, quote, woman came in to buy cigarettes. At first, I didn't pay any attention to her until I saw her hand when she handed me the money. It was not like a normal human hand. This startled me so I looked up and saw a very pale entity wearing a thin black coat like a raincoat with collar turned up to cover her neck, a heavy long-haired wig, and very large black sunglasses. So we've got some fashion sense here, and I dig it. <laughs> this totally trying to blend in. Doing, I would say, the best job of anybody so far of blending yeah. in. I mean, the little green Cyclops didn't even try, really, if you think about it. No, just really wanted that chicken with the saffron in the red. This is like the um, runway model of the aliens that we have so far, too. It's just, it's very stylish. Yeah. Like the long blonde hair. She's strutting into the store to buy cigarettes. So she might have, she probably should have invested in gloves, I guess, because the hand was the, the giveaway. But would would gloves be as much of a giveaway? Uh, I don't know. It depends on the time of year, I guess. Yeah, it's fair. I, I it didn't seem like winter, but you know, I could be wrong. We did we don't have sensory daddy, but you know. This did not entirely hide her strange face, a very pointed chin, scant lip and nose. She did not speak. Took her cigarettes and left. I was kinda stunned. Oddly, I cannot remember the details of her hand, though it was the first thing I noticed. Nor do I think she left in a car, which was odd since most patrons drove up drove up to the store it was somewhat isolated cartot provided me more details of the cigarette lady in a later post whether this entity is a gray or a hybrid i can only guess i have never seen what is described as a classic gray alien perhaps hybrid is most fitting simply because there seems to be some variety of attributes associated with this general category, i.e. that do not fit perfectly with the classic gray alien type size of head being foremost. Some details that I do recall with some clarity. First, her skin. It was very pale, white, with almost bluish gray tint to it, and of an unusually smooth texture. I have never seen anything like it before or since. I had previously seen an albino person, it was nothing like that, i.e. her skin was not unpigmented, though there was an almost translucent quality to it. Second, her facial features. Though I could not see her eyes due to the large Jackie O style sunglasses she wore, other aspects were evident. An unusually long pointy chin exaggerated cheekbones out of proportion to the rest of her face. Practically no lips, only enough to discern that there was any mouth. A nose that was almost not there. There was very little structure to it, a small bridge area, and some structure around the nostrils, but not much. Finally, her neck. Though her coat collar was turned up, I could see some of the neck, which was oddly thin. The wig, obviously such a long, thick dishwasher... <laughs> dishwater blonde mane made of cheap imitation hair easily obtainable at a Kmart in those days seemed placed to hide other features of the head so I cannot comment on these ears shape of head yeah I, 
I wonder if anybody asked the local Kmart if they had any strange customers. <laughs> <laughs> like we have all, we have explored on this podcast before how odd a Kmart vestibule can be. <laughs> so it only makes sense that the Kmart needed to be the the folks that worked there needed to be interviewed. It just had to. Yeah, happen. but it might have been you know it might be it might be par for the course at a Kmart. I don't know. <laughs> Gray alien, which one? That it's, <laughs> happens all the time. How long have they been out of business now? You know, it's it's been a while. <laughs> uh, it puzzles me why I cannot recall her hand. Perhaps because it was what most startled me at first. The only thing I can relate to this lack of recall is to a nasty car accident I had years later. Afterwards, I completely blanked out of the memory of the worst part of the accident, the part when it was occurring. I asked my doctor about this and was told that it was not uncommon for the human brain to forget traumatic or difficult events. I can only surmise the initial part of the encounter with the cigarette lady falls into this category. There were no other people in the store. I was alone. It was afternoon. The year of this encounter was 1974, possibly 1975. I worked both summers between high school and college and between my first and second year of years of college, but most likely 1974. The location was an area south of St. Louis, Missouri. I felt no lingering psychological effect from this encounter that I am aware of other than extreme puzzlement and the blocked memory of her hand as to whether this changed me I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's let's talk about that statement right there. The the we get into the banality yeah. of encountering an alien buying cigarettes. And what I what I find interesting about this is that in 1975 at the time or in 1974 whenever the story right. uh was was happening this was not a popular archetype. This uh, type of alien wasn't uh, really within the scope of what, uh, you know, we have today, you know, which is, uh, she is basically described as being a gray. Yeah. With, with maybe some uh, more human attributes, but the way she's also describing it, it, it's as if she doesn't know what a gray is. So, uh, you know, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, but it just seems like she's describing it as a gray without knowing what a gray is. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, uh, hmm. But I, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of weird things with this too because she's telling the story much later, like after grays are in the po- popular consciousness. So there's always mm-hmm. the possibility that her memory was altered too. You know. Um, right, and the the trauma aspect of it is intriguing to me. That the it's just blotted out, and you have to wonder if maybe the lost time with a lot of these cases has to do with a traumatic, uh, a neurological reaction where you just forget the stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is why why cigarettes? You know, cigarettes is the very strange part here, and it's kind of funny to think about an alien wanting a pack of smokes. Um, <laughs> it kind of calls to mind the uh, 
awesome X Files episode. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, what Jose Chung's from outer yep. space. Yeah, because they basically parody the yeah. communion cover, and the the alien has a cigarette <laughs> hanging out of his mouth. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, it's like tobacco is not an uncommon offering for uh, uh, spirits and and like fey entities and stuff like that. Um, so that kind of makes me think along the lines of, of fairy lore where you could leave an offering for, for different entities. Um, and then, and you know, these entities are also capable of a glamor, you know? So I wonder if just the suggestion of clothing on an entity like this, whether it's, you know, quote unquote alien or, or otherwise, whatever the hell they are, which is really the whole premise of crypto terrestrials is <laughs> that they probably just mm. live here, you know, um, you know, maybe sometimes like a shoddy costume is enough because the, the yeah. human mind is going to fill in the blanks, like the way the human mind just matrixes reality. Uh, as long as it's got a hat on top and normal human hair and the rest is covered by a coat, your mind just fills in the blanks. <laughs> Yeah. And the exactly. shocking part was the hand. <laughs> the hand was all wrong, you know? Yeah. The hand was all wrong. And now I can't remember the hand. Well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Something about the hand was wrong. Well, I don't know. That's terrifying in and of itself. I mean, she does say, as to whether this changed me, I don't know. But I, I can't help mm-hmm. but think that you're the same person after you've sold an alien cigarettes that you were prior yeah <laughs> and it also yeah. makes you wonder what would, what would have happened if she had fallen into the hands of an unscrupulous hypnotist that made her mm-hmm. made her remember what the hand looked like what could yeah, what could have right? been mined that maybe could have ruined her life you know so that hand has influenced her life in more than one way <laughs> <laughs> it's the hand of fate <laughs> it is uh weird story and the illustration for that is awesome um that's the other thing yes. about the crypto t- terrestrials is all of the illustrations are awesome because they're done by mike cleland the owl guy just uh you know killing it with the illustrations he's uh I, he's you know illustrated a lot of uh books which uh which are fantastic so seriously if you've never read the crypto terrestrials go check it out i think the crypto terrestrial would theory would be bigger than it is now you know had mac tony's not died but uh still like that one slim volume says a lot uh and it takes a lot of pot shots at the eth so which is awesome yeah i mean it's a book that was way ahead of its time and still kind of like oddly Mm -hmm. dated now reading it um Yep. But it, it's, it, it, I would consider it required reading if you want to think about things beyond, <laughs> beyond the uh, ETH. And yeah, even if you don't want to buy into the whole theory, it at least uh, gives you different avenues to, to consider. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's a theory that exists, um, you know, that, that kind of complements, um, you know, the work of, John Keel and the work of Jacques Vallée, it, it, it complements it, I think, a lot more than um, people may realize, especially uh, when you look at these incidents and, 
you put it in the context of um like folklore and stuff like that so um yeah it's it, it's a it's almost kind of like a a modern spin on like passport to Macau. right it takes the keel and valet and high strangeness ideas and moves them forward into the 21st century kind of a good way to look at it yeah and it also exposes the fact that human beings are very easy to manipulate yeah very easy yeah but without getting unnecessarily paranoid about it too i think he refers to it as like a measured paranoia or a balanced paranoia in the book or something (laughs) yes yeah exactly like you're not going too far down the the nick redfern path of just complete and total government uh you know that's a good way to be i mean every once in a while you can put the tinfoil hat on but you need to know when to take it off too so (laughs) absolutely yeah so that's that story i guess uh next we have a weird one from russia um it happened upon this in the albert rosales um humanoid index uh 1991 february um the nikita botanic garden and oh man i was gonna look up how to pronounce these things well it's in ukraine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> it's in crimea crimea yeah. uh, a man named valery nikolaevich kutsnev uh curious about the frequently reported ufos in the area began a regular ufo watch from his hostel house at the nikita botanic gardens despite the fact that most of the others involved had lost their interest in the phenomena Dozens had reported UFOs in 1989 to 1990. So this kind of um, dovetails also, I mean, I know it's not Russia, but with uh, the episode you just did with Ryan Sprague, uh, with the mm-hmm. uh, Verona's uh, case, because you're talking about how like in Russia, they weren't really talking about UFOs or people weren't allowed to until around the late 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... It's kind of neat how that ties in. So the this night he sees uh, an orange globe emitting light hover over the ocean. Five minutes later, he received a sudden phone call from a woman on duty at the gardens. He thought the call was peculiar since no one usually made any phone calls in the middle of the night, especially to him. He picked up the receiver and heard a female voice that asked him for his complete name, patronymic, and surname. The female voice said that her name was Elvira and told him that she wanted to meet him. (laughs) He then spoke to her on the phone for some time, mostly about unusual subjects. Since that night, uh, a number of unusual events surrounded Valerie. On several occasions, peculiar-looking strangers came looking for him at the postgraduate student house. One evening, a very strange woman visited him. She was thin, taller than average, and wearing a long coat. Her face was inhumanly pale. The lips were thin, she had deep-set eyes, which could not be properly seen, and she had a sullen look. She greeted him, and immediate, and he immediately recognized her voice as the female caller that night who gave her name as Elvira. At this moment, his heart began to race, and his palms became sweaty. He invited her in, but she was extremely apprehensive. It was the strangest woman he had ever seen. She emanated a strange vibe, which seemed to warn men to stay away. He was no coward. 
but this woman frighted, frightened him. <laughs> when he helped to take her coat off, he found that she was dressed in a very absurd manner, not described in the report. But I think we all know it was a long black gown that exposed a lot of cleavage. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, because it yeah. was Elvira. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, Valerie asked her who asked her who had the sky. I don't know what that means. All her movements were awkward, mm-hmm. angular, and fast. At the same time, Valerie felt like a guinea pig. She began to question him on several subjects as if testing him. Subjects were esoteric in nature, like karma, astral travel, etc. He then asked her why she had telephoned him five minutes after the UFO sighting in the middle of the night, which he said could hardly have been called a coincidence. The question caught her by surprise, and she couldn't provide a proper answer, and then began speaking about mundane matters. <laughs> so, how about that local football team, huh? <laughs> how about local local sports team, comrade? Oh, what's that? There's a referee in the room. He's throwing a flag. Oh, God. <laughs> like, uh, I just came here to talk about, you know, telepathy and astral travel and you bring up ufos come on now <laughs> yeah seriously okay. why would you do get your head out of the clouds valerie <laughs> i don't know if he, he probably doesn't have a lot of experience with women i don't know it says he's maybe he says maybe he's not. no coward but i don't know uh yeah what does that exactly mean though <laughs> what like are you are you like this woman gives off uh stay away from me men vibes and your response is uh i'm no coward i'm no coward coward. (laughs) fuck that vibe i'll do what i want well i don't know there's many of us that have been there you know there's the yeah (laughs) there are the women that gave off that vibe and you said it and you just yeah i gotta weigh the pros and cons let's say yeah, it could be fun. Could ruin my life. Could be fun though. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, when their bizarre conversation was over, Elvira left Valerie a present that resembled a toy or a children's whirly gig, which rotated around its axis, emanating light from its middle. Um, I don't know exactly what that was, but I want one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valerie had never seen such a toy before. After his first visit, Elvira made several other telephone calls to Valerie without giving any valid reason for the call. Other people also saw the strange woman on several occasions, and evidently she was able to control the minds of those other witnesses, since they behaved in the way she wanted. Some of the witnesses even forgot about the visitation or encounter, as if their memories had been erased. One witness reported seeing Elvira exiting a landed UFO. So there's the smoking gun right there. Or smoking mm-hmm. saucer, right there. As, it, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like alien woman setting up in town, like making her presence known, talking to people, coming out of UFOs. Like th- this story has. I'm putting it out there right now. Um, Elvira, like Cassandra Peterson, Elvira. I would like to know if you're listening to the show right now. She probably is, right? 
Yeah, okay. totally. She's a totally. fan. Yeah. All right. Elvira, if you're listening yeah. right now, I'd like to know if you have a flying saucer. Yes. I think that is uh, an important question. And we need Where were you in February of 1989? <laughs> yes. Were you in perhaps Ukraine? We uh we need to know. Uh perhaps if you have a a stamped passport that you can inform us with. But uh yeah, just again, these like these stories uh, and and it kind of reminds me of that story in Nick Redfern's first book about the men in black in which the uh, King, the guy doing the King Arthur research keeps getting a visit from this woman. that keeps telling him, stop looking for King Arthur's tomb. It could unleash all kinds of hell. And then she ends up transforming into this like monstrous figure. And uh, it, it scares the hell out of him to the point where he just like stops looking, was, and gives up on. So King was Arthur. he a coward though? Okay. Yes, he was. He was definitely a coward. <laughs> I'd also like to say I just love any story where an alien calls on the phone. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's totally awesome. I I appreciate the use of the telephone, and there doesn't appear to be any accompanying like poltergeist-like phenomenon that you usually get with aliens making phone calls and, and such. So I appreciate that aspect of it, and it doesn't seem you know, utterly too terrifying. Uh, Elvira seems kind of pleasant here. Yeah, she just wants to hang out and, yeah. like, maybe manipulate some minds and then just get on her flying yes. saucer and, you know, relax. So just don't ask her about UFOs, I guess. She doesn't like that. <laughs> no, don't don't ask her about that. Uh, she's going to try to talk to you about, quote, mundane matters, but... I don't know what the extent of her uh, mundane conversations are like, but yeah, what is mundane for I, her? Right. <laughs> like I, I'm wondering that myself. <laughs> also, um, I'd like to know if there's any stories of, I might've heard one or two, but stories of people getting phone calls from aliens on cell phones or like smartphones. That'd be great. Or yeah, or aliens great. on social media. I feel like this is this is for some reason not a thing so much. I feel like you're inviting something into your life right now that you may not well, want. No, I mean, and, don't get or, me wrong. I have received Twitter messages uh, yeah. from people that either claim to be in contact yeah. with aliens or claim to be aliens. Right, but... I think now you have ratcheted up the game here and you are going to start receiving even worse messages. And Good. Bring it. Uh, Bring if... it. <laughs> and if I start to receive messages, we're going to have a problem. Okay. I don't want to be blowing up your phone while you're at work. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I am the coward. I will not get involved. <laughs> I'm no coward. I'm no coward, Rob. <laughs> look, look. The the roles have been put out there. AP's not the coward. I am. So leave me alone. Send him all the messages, okay? Send him the messages about you being Especially an alien if you're or, or whatever. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh man uh especially if you're elvira and you can confirm that you have a ufo absolutely yes. and you so, can give me a whirly uh, gig. Our... i want the glowing whirly yes. gig. 
uh whirligig uh totally a um correct term that's what it's a technical term i think (laughs) it it is a technical term so uh the next story that we have is 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 kind of a precursor to what i will be talking about next week with my guests and uh, that is swedish ufo cases only uh there is no ufo here there are reports of a strange little man that started coming from uh, Norbotten County in Sweden in the in the uh, late 1970s, uh, early 1971. So these reports were documented by Ake Franzen uh, for Flying Saucer Review. Quote, recently, I found reports about a strange little man in the small Swedish newspaper Nordlandska Socialdemokraten. An item in the February 2nd, 1971 edition reads, Many people have seen the mysterious dwarf, but only a few dare mention it. Three people in Gamelstad aren't afraid to step forward and speak about their experiences. They are Olaf Melinder, iron worker, aged 44, his wife Marta, 43, female cook in Lulea School, and truck driver Asar Sandberg, 51. All of them live in Gamelstad. Mr. Molinder says, quote, My wife and I were driving with Asar through Jockfall from Narkin towards Lulea. The date was August 19th, 1970. Oh, wait, wait, it was wait. dark. Six but, years. Nope. Five years to the day after the one-eyed Cyclops in Peru. Oh, God. It's just... We're making connections here, folks. We're making connections just here, that. and I, I appreciate yep. that. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. So, yes, the date was August 19th, 1970. It was a dark and ra- it was dark and rainy. It was a dark and stormy night uh, in the wilds about a mile south of Narkin. We suddenly saw a small figure near the road. It was a little man standing on a pathway in the forest. He wasn't more than one meter or three feet in height. When the car headlights struck him, he raised both arms and covered his face. When only a few meters away from him, everything inside the car went totally white and a sound like a shot was heard. Asar had to slow the car down. Miss Melinder, quote, The road became white, as if crossed by a flash. The little man was still at the same spot. We didn't stop, but continued driving. Afterwards, we discussed the little man for some time, and whether he had aimed some weapon at us. We got a short glimpse at his clothing. He wore a grayish-colored raincoat and had a helmet or sou'wester on his head. We didn't see his face because he covered it with his arms. Everything happened so quickly. Asar Sandberg, quote, When I saw the figure beside the road, I wondered, what in the world is that little thing doing out here? He seemed to have a raincoat on. When we came near to him in the car, I suddenly heard the sound of a shot, and everything became blinding white all over. I couldn't see a thing and stepped on the brake. The Molinder family and Asar Sandberg cannot forget the encounter on the road. It seems unreal, but we can only say what happened. 
Not one of them wants to speculate who or what the little man can be. Said Marta Melinder, quote, We wouldn't speak of this earlier, but later we heard other people talk about encounters with the little man in the vicinities of Narkin, Anulati. At first, we thought it was some dwarf living in the area, but now we know no such person exists there. Okay, <laughs> all right, let's just stop here for a second. I, I'm sorry, but why? Why? Why is that a normal statement? And anybody should be making uh, at, at any point in, in in conversations like this. It's just like, yeah, we don't know of any dwarfs living out there. Yeah, nobody uh, seems to know a dwarf. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be a good time to add to just reading the story and saying, okay, little man, little man in a raincoat. If you actually see the pictures associated with the flying saucer review article that came from the newspaper, Mm -hmm. um, they made a model instead of just drawing a picture, they made a model of it and took photos of it. And it is the stuff of nightmares. It's haunting. It is. It is. It is very haunting because you can't really make out facial features other than two black eyes. Uh, but it... and the coat and the helmet, like mm-hmm. the profile of it, it looks like he's holding a lantern or something in front of him. Um, I'm like, yeah. this looks like some eldritch horror dimension Paddington bear. <laughs> it is, yes, that is the perfect description. It is the stuff of nightmares, the stuff that. Uh, Freddy Krueger was too afraid to be made of because it would be uh, absolutely laughed at and also just utterly feared. So, yes, this figure, whatever whatever it may be, is um, the nightmare fuel that um, will haunt your dreams for, for years to come. I uh, the, the one thing that I know that the uh, face reminded me of, and, and in uh, a different issue of Flying Saucer Review in relation to the um, Reary Idaho carjackers from 1967, they kind of compared those to that, which I don't think is a, is a one-for-one comparison. Yeah. Um, because... In reading the report, like they aren't very descriptive about the face because it threw its arms up in front of its face. Yeah, so it's a, we don't an really odd have... feature that light seems to hurt it, which is kind of something mm-hmm. we'll come back to. Um, that happens in a couple of these reports. But what's really yeah. disconcerting, like you said, is you don't have the big oval-shaped eyes that you expect with grays. They're just like these two beady right. little eyes and no other yes. features. <laughs> Uh, the one thing that it reminded me of uh this model it reminded me of um there is a short film that was created based on a story written by joe hill called pop art and if you watch the film because the lead character the i the one of the lead characters the idea is that um in this world being inflatable, being an inflatable person is a genetic disorder that, that affects, you know, very few of the population. And he kind of had like the, the beady eyes reminded me of that. So uh, if you've never seen the short film for pop art, or if you've never read the story, you really should. Uh, It'll move you to tears. It's absolutely sad and amazing and transcendent. It's a a really fantastic short story, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, quote, 
the mo- both the Melinders and Mr. Sandberg say the blinding light is the most mysterious part of the whole story. The Norlandska Social Democratin of February 26, 1971, carried a further item on the mystery. The little man has shown up again. Ake Westerberg, age 20, from Strachan, has this to say, quote, When I took a look at the little figure, a bright light suddenly appeared, so bright that I had to close my eyes fast. When it was dark again, the little man had vanished. Strachan is a little village of just 11 farmhouses situated a mile north of Overkalix. The experience took place near Mr. Westerberg's home on February 16, 1971. In his own words, quote, It was about 6 o'clock in the evening. I had to go buy a bus to a neighbor to buy some milk. Okay, you've got to go to your neighbor to buy some milk. This is... This is rural territory. We are in the rural of the rural. It's yeah. So if a dwarf, so if a dwarf lived there, they'd know about it. Is what you're suggesting? Yeah. Uh, what I what I'm suggesting is it is every person for themselves in this world. It is ungodly. You've got to go get milk from your neighbors, but I can I can respect that. So, um, well, it takes a village to be terrorized by a dwarf creature, you know. It, it, it does take a village. It totally takes a village. When I left my home, it was already dark. At the bus stop, my eyes fell on a dark form in the middle of the road, approximately 15 meters or 50 feet away. It looked like a little man to me. I couldn't see his face. There was just a gray spot there, which is even creepier. The little man didn't move at all and seemed to be rooted to the ground. I became curious and stepped closer. Then I heard a sudden growl come from him. Afraid, I retreated, but he did not move. Without warning, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, he he is totally standing his ground, and I I respect that. For The dwarf is not a coward. He is not a coward. Without warning, an intense bright light appeared. So bright, I had to tightly close my eyes. The light lasted for five or six seconds. When I carefully opened my eyes again, the little man was gone. Mr. Westerberg says he was really shaken by his experience, so he did not think to examine the spot where the little figure had been. The bus arrived after five minutes, and uh, he left. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> he he left to fetch the milk. When I got back home. I went inside for my rifle. I searched the road all around for tracks, but found nothing. He also said he had a very blurred impression of the man's clothes. Quote, he was black and looked clumsy in a way. The thing on his head was difficult to discern, but he wore something on his stomach, a lamp or a box of some kind. Ake Westerbird's experience is similar to that of the three other people in Gamostad earlier. The enigma of the little man is unsolved, but those who are convinced about the existence of UFOs can see a connection between them and small men. Uh, okay. All right. Like the, the phrasing, the phrasing to that, I, I, I respect, but it's just like, you're going to drop a bomb like that. <clears throat> just like, yeah, that, you know, short men, 
totally UFOs. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of funny. It's like, were there UFO sightings in the area? And the, they don't seem to say that, but they're just like, it kind of reminds people of humanoids associated with um, with UFOs. And I mean, to be fair, I mean, a lot of small humanoids from UFOs are seen with uh, apparatus on their chest or some kind of tool or device that they seem to be carrying. So mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense. But I would, the raincoat and the helmety hat thing is is <laughs> just very, very weird, you know? Yes, this was the story about the little man in Norbotten, and I'm still looking for the material about him. The following item also came from Norlandska Socialdemokraten. The happening took place in Ravionimi, Finland, on March 4th, 1971. When Vilho Sotanimi was driving his truck three kilometers or 1.8 miles from Pernu at the point where the roads from Pulso and Rovanimi cross, he suddenly saw a light phenomenon behind him. Quote, at first he thought the light emanated from a car and drove the truck uh, to the side of the road, but nothing happened. Instead, the light moved diagonally from the side of the road to the front, and Sotanimi stopped the truck to take a close look at it. It looked like a beam of light measuring approximately three meters or nine feet. It slowly moved away from him at an altitude of 20 meters and finally disappeared over the treetops. The upper part of the light was clear yellow and lower part bluish being blue at the end. So it kind of just ends with a random happenstance that really doesn't relate to this. It's in another country, but um, it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to make of the little man from Norbotten. It sounds like a cute little story. Then, But those pictures, those pictures, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get those out of my mind's eye anytime soon. No. Uh, and uh, next week's guest, Fred Anderson, he, he shared uh, briefly that the legend of the little man of Norbotten kind of fits into the folklore of, you know, little men sightings from the area. So uh, he has that going on. It's like so, a folklore uh, of like the Tom 10, I think. Uh, yeah. Something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that'll be a great episode. People should tune in because Fred is awesome. He is uh, like, if you've ever, if you don't follow him on, on Twitter, you really should because, uh, uh, Fred's a he's a man of many tastes he uh, he's an artist his art is amazing uh, he is a um, he's a television producer he's a writer uh, he's kind of a jack of all trades but he he shares some of the like most buck wild cases from Sweden on there so definitely uh, give him a follow um, at uh, at homo satanus on uh, Twitter yep <clears throat> Okay, so uh, we're past the halfway point now. We came up with a lot of stories, so (laughs) (laughs) this one's a little bit different um, because though we can't definitively tie these to UFOs either, 
I think so far we've only had one where the the entity was seen to go in a UFO, and that was Elvira, right? Because I mean, yeah. like that last story from Finland seems to suggest that the little man, you know, maybe took off in a flying saucer or something like that. But um, this one kind of deviates from the little person gray alien type and more to the reptilian flavor of of aliens mm-hmm. and this comes from david weatherly's book strange intruders um which is a great book i mean it's got slenderman and black-eyed kids and uh all kinds of monsters and weird weird things in it uh yeah the, the story from this is called uh, the snakeheads move in so the uh, the account he collected was for several years in the early 2000s i lived in a house just outside of dayton ohio quiet area mostly working class people and the houses were pretty reasonably cost wise i was living on a street where most of the homes had a good sized yard the people mostly kept to themselves but would speak to you if you're outside in the yard or walking around i had a huge front yard and it seemed like i had to mow it constantly i would often speak to my next door neighbor on a casual basis he had a small plumbing company, and honest, honestly, we didn't really have anything in common. My background was computers, and I wasn't he wasn't interested in that at all. Still, he seemed to know everything about the neighborhood, I think because his wife was so nosy and kept up with all the local news. About five houses down from mine, there was an empty ranch house. When I was looking for a house myself, the real, realtor mentioned it to me. She said that it sat empty for a good while, and that I could probably get it pretty easy and cheap. When I asked why, she told me the people who used to live there had been foreclosed on, and the inside, and the inside side of the house had all busted fixtures and ripped holes in walls. So since I didn't want to inter- wasn't interested in dealing with all that to repair it, I didn't even look at the place. It was almost a year after I moved in my house before someone moved into the ranch home. The weird thing was I saw these people move in very suddenly. I didn't see any workers at the house making repairs. I thought, well, the guy must plan to do it all himself. Of course, the neighbor and his wife had a lot to say about it. My neighbor had stopped by and offered his card, along with a discount on some of the plumbing work that needed to be done. They said the man stood blocking his view of the inside of the house, and he could see very little, but there were just some mattresses on the floor of the living room. No furniture, he told me. The man took the business card and just looked at it for a moment, then handed it back, saying there was nothing that needed to be done in the home. With that, he closed the door. So, so far, this is just kind of sketchy. It's just a sketchy mm-hmm. family. I started seeing... It kind of reminds me of the um, the uh, meth addict roommate that I had in college. Just uh, totally creepy. Yeah, vibes. I was getting totally kind of creepy. meth addict vibes from that. Yeah. <laughs> Could have yep. been the case. Um, but uh, it gets weirder. I started seeing the new people on a regular basis when I was out walking my dog. It was my habit to take the dog around the course on uh, several blocks down to the park and back to the house. It would be about uh, 5.30 when I was walking down our street and I would see the guy pull up in his old car. It was a beater and sounded like it was barely running. The guy usually wore some pretty worn out clothing, so I figured they didn't have a whole lot of money. This is all backing up the meth addict vibes, but... The car mm-hmm. was always full of trash. I mean, really full, overflowing in the back seats. He couldn't have sat back there for, for all the trash. I would always say hello, but this guy never responded to me. Finally, I got to the point where I just wouldn't say anything because he wouldn't respond. I ran into him one night at the nearby mayor's grocery store. He was in the meat department, and he had a cart that was slammed full of meats. 
from what I could see, it was all beef lots of hamburgers, steaks, and so forth. He looked up and saw me looking into his shopping cart and gave me a nasty look. I said hello and commented, you must be having a barbecue. He looked like I had slapped him. I had never seen such a look. (laughs) He opened his mouth and made a sort of a hissing sound, just weird, like the air being forced out between his teeth. He turned around and stormed away, and I saw him head to check out. I just didn't know what to make of this incident. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've never been hissed at by a person before. (laughs) No, I am uh, drawing a blank on that one. (laughs) (laughs) It had me curious, though. And the next day, when I saw my next-door neighbor, I had to bring up the strange people. Don't get me started on them, he said. When I asked what he meant, he told me that his wife would not stop talking about them. He told me that his wife claimed to see the woman outside in the backyard chasing a cat. The cat got away, and this lady was really angry about it. Here's the kicker, though, he said. My wife said that lady was wearing a wig and that it fell off. And when it did, she said the woman's head was bald and scaled like a snake's. He went on to tell me that his wife had become obsessed with the idea that they were reptiles and that she was constantly reading about such things on the internet. He was worried that his wife was really losing it. Um, that's a legitimate concern. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> I is. would I would implore you not to Google reptile people. <laughs> nope. <laughs> You're nope. gonna find gonna send you down a path. That's, you don't need that's to be a going rabbit down. hole for a nosy housewife that uh, can lead nowhere good. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, it might keep her away from the windows and she won't be spying on her neighbors quite as much. But... Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, that's when she heads down, you know, the YouTube rabbit holes of, you know, chemtrails, flat yeah, earth. Starts and, buying uh, David Icke you know, books and yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's just bad. You don't want to do that yeah. to yourself. If someone you know or someone you love is looking into reptiles <laughs> on the internet, there is help. <laughs> <laughs> direct them to Please weird see. twitter and we'll set them straight so yes uh we are we are nothing if not honest and uh we are not afraid to tell you that uh david ike's anti-semitic bullshit and big just general bigotry is not welcome so uh please uh if you <laughs> if you do find yourself going to that rabbit hole consult the proper people yeah. on twitter they're, they're there we're we're here we're there waiting for you you know so yes yes kind of like ghostbusters <laughs> we're ready to believe you <laughs> <laughs> no not really we're ready to change your beliefs that's really what it is uh oh boy okay so uh i'm just a curious guy by nature probably to my detriment sometimes but now i was really curious about these people i decided to try a little experiment the next night I started walking my dog and took and took my time until I saw his old car pull up. I got to this guy just as he was crossing the sidewalk to go into his house, and I let my dog's lead out some. My dog ran forward, but when he got close to the guy, he turned and ran back to me. I stepped up right beside the man. He wouldn't say anything to me, even when I pressed at him, and, and he averted his eyes away from me. When he turned, I noticed he was wearing a toupee. Dun-dun-dun... I was flabbergasted. Not only was he wearing a headpiece, but coming from underneath it on his neck, there was what looked like very dried skin, almost like scales. My God, I thought, could my neighbor's wife be right? 
were these people not people at all? Um, John threw himself into the research and, like most people these days, turned to the internet. Again, another one lost to the internet. Uh, mm -hmm. when he <laughs> what he found was a massive <laughs> amount of information. Uh, I, I would use scare quotes there, information. Speculation mm -hmm. and dialogue mm -hmm. about the so-called reptilians. He spent time talking to his neighbor's wife to get the details about her account directly from her. She had convinced herself the reptilians were in their midst and that they were working on taking over the country. So this is, uh, this is <laughs> when it goes person to person viral like this, when it's word of mouth crazy, that's, that's, that's mm -hmm. why this is dangerous. You can't do that. It's contagious yes. people. Don't. <laughs> yes. Six feet apart. <laughs> wear a mask. Don't look up reptilians on the internet. Um, it's simple. <laughs> simple. She spent all her time watching videos on the internet. Oh, geez. And reading material from the authors who are convinced there's some grand reptilian conspiracy to take over the planet. She even took to calling the weird neighbors the snakeheads. John had a number of other experiences related to the weird family. Besides the husband and wife, there were two older boys that lived in the house. John and, and others assumed they were the children of the couple. They rarely went outside their house and, like their father, never spoke to anyone. There was a teenage boy from the neighborhood that I started paying to cut my grass. He'd been doing it for a while, and we would often chat about football since we were both big fans. One day he looked at me very serious and asked if I knew anything about the people down the street. When I asked why, he told me that he had stopped by their house to offer to cut their grass. One of the boys had opened the door and just shook his head no. I could see their kitchen table, he told me. They were all sitting there, and I swear they were eating raw meat. The Odd family lived in the neighborhood for a year and a half. One day, they all piled into the old car and left, never to be seen again. John happened to catch a work truck in front of the house one day and stopped to see what was going on. It was a cleanup crew sent by the realty company. I went in and just started talking to the workers. The place was a total wreck. There were old mattresses on the floor with just a dirty sheet on them. It, there was a dining room table that was roughly nailed together. It looked like it had come from a dump. All the, all the holes were still in the walls. There wasn't even any toilets, just the holes in the floors where they had been. There was fecal matter on the floors in the bathroom. In the kitchen, there was trash everywhere, but most of it was from meat packages. The stench was overwhelming. Being a self-proclaimed rational thinker, as most people who spend a lot of time on the internet Googling reptilians are. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I think they call themselves independent thinkers, though, you know free thinkers um john mm -hmm. spent time trying to find logical reasons to explain away the incidents that he and others had noticed around the family he found the reptilians theories on the internet too extreme and too far outside of his traditional belief systems this also explains why he paid a kid to mow his lawn because then he didn't have to run into yeah. the crazy neighbor lady <laughs> <laughs> yep totally it um still he left he was left with many unanswered questions honestly I just didn't know what to think. The neighborhood was not the same while those people lived there. Everyone else just seems uneasy. I thought uh, a lot of people had seen strange things, but I don't know if it was all coincidental or if something was going on. I still have a hard time bringing myself to accept that they were some kind of reptiles, but I can't deny how weird it all was. The jury is still out on what John was dealing with. While he hasn't accepted that the people were aliens or reptoids, he is open to all possibilities. As he stated... If they were human, they certainly weren't normal people. And if they were something else, well, I'm just glad they went away. 
<laughs> which I think it's the like the the perfect response to somebody who um it, it notes the uh, weird shit that's going on in their neighbor in their neighborhood and wants not to do nothing to change it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did kind of like poke it though. That's that's the kind of the funny thing. It's like he's poking the bear. He's just like um <clears throat> like uh i'm gonna go over and bring my dog over and see how the dog reacts you know mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep saying hi to the guy that doesn't want to talk to me you know um but he doesn't he's not gonna do anything about it <laughs> no he's just going to it, it's gossip for him and it is gossip that has led him uh on a revolt uh with one of his neighbors mm-hmm. That uh, he just does not want to talk to Prob- now because his wife is just won't shut up right. about and it. And probably that caused a divorce over there. I mean, I can see this plumber guy being like, it's, "I'm out." <laughs> it's it's very it's very possible that it did. It also reminds me of that movie. Oh, the name escapes me right now, but the movie where they're just like giant bugs trying to put, fit in, um, giant bugs in human form. They've like wearing human suits. Mm. You know the movie I'm talking about. It's from like the nineties. Um, it'll come to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, my, my mind is blanking, but uh, I'm sure once you like say it, I'll be like, Oh yeah. Duh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it does have that vibe of, um, something trying to be human and failing. Oh, meet the apple gates. Yeah. Mm. With that bigly junior. That... Yep. <laughs> That's kind of what it reminds me of. It's just like these like snake people just wearing human suits and trying to fit in. But um, just trying the to Applegates fit in. did it much more, much more uh, convincingly. So, yes, absolutely. Um, so our, our next story is uh, Whitley Strieber related. And to say that Whitley Strieber's communion, uh, you know, caused an uproar when it was released uh in 1987 is a complete and total understatement. And uh, you can only imagine how uh, publishing a sequel one year later would be received. Uh, Transformation was released in September of 1988 and contained a story involving, ironically, a man named Bruce Lee. (laughs) (laughs) He was an editor uh, for the publishing company that released communion, William Morrow, uh, and the story caused so much of an uproar that Ed Conroy, who was investigating Streeper's claims for a book of his own called Report on Communion, interviewed Lee personally. Because uh, writing a book about a book is a good way to sell a book. <laughs> it is a fantastic way to sell a book, especially when the um, author of the original book allows you to use uh, artwork of that author with uh, black eyes it's just absolutely uh, amazing uh if you've seen the original covered it's uh it's this artwork of whitley streber that um it is interpreted to mean yes whitley uh to interpret that uh he is an alien so yeah it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting story yeah quote my wife and i went out on a weekend it was a Saturday because Sunday the bookstores would be closed. We went up to, I think it was Wamrath's on Lexington Avenue, one of the stores that had the lending library. 
It's no longer in existence. We went in. I had a couple of my own books. I wanted to see how they were on display. And communion was more toward the rear of the store. I think there were about 10 racks facing front where they had the latest best-selling books. I showed my wife the communion rack. And then I went around the store looking for some of my other books. And she went off looking for fiction to buy. And then I noticed a couple come into the store and head directly for communion. I mean, it was just, you could just see them come in. They, don't, they didn't know where the book was. You couldn't see it from the street. And they came in and headed right back for where the rack was. Most unusual, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. They were very short. My mother was five foot one. I'm six foot four, so I noticed these things. And they were all wrapped up. Long scarves, wool hats that you would pull down. And they picked up a copy of the book and they started thumbing through it. Not something that would escape the attention of Bruce Lee. No, sir. Yeah. No, no. Just like this man is a keen observer of the human experience. That's that is for sure. The man was doing this and it was obvious that they were speed reading, too. And they would say, oh, he's got this wrong. He's got that wrong. And they were sort of giggling at at this point in time, particularly because they were giggling and they were saying he's got it wrong. I thought I might as well go over and find out what's up. So I went over and introduced myself and said, I'm the publisher. And could you tell me what you think is wrong with the book? I think it was the woman that looked up. She was wearing those big sort of sunglasses that the girls keep keep up in their hair, and they really sort of hide the face. But by God, behind those dark glasses, there was a goddamn big <laughs> pair of eyes. <laughs> and I mean to say, it was a big pair of eyes. I cannot emphasize this enough. I shit you not, nope. these eyes were huge. <laughs> they were huge. And they were sort of shaped sort of like Only almonds. really big almonds. You know, yes, big. The biggest almonds you've ever seen. Just absolutely huge. You know how when you when you meet somebody the first time, you frequently get an uh, immediate reaction? Especially if their eyes are fucking huge. <laughs> Yes, especially if their eyes are just absolutely ginormous. The hackles on the back of my neck just went Now, up. I'm not sure that's where hackles are normally located. No, no, but I, I, like, I thought that word was sprung on me in a very surprising fashion, and it did catch now me off. Now I'm questioning <laughs> whether Bruce Lee is a human being. Yes. This is like an Inception <laughs> alien incognito story. <laughs> It is. It is 100%. So the hackles on the back of my neck just went up. I got to feeling that I was in eyeball contact with somebody who did not like me at all. In fact, I got the impression that I was not wanted around there. And having been raised on a farm and seeing mad dogs, I got the immediate relationship and I went over and I think I said goodbye and went over and got my wife and got the hell out of there. I was almost shaking. I said, did you see that couple? And my wife said, sure, I saw that couple. And I said, 
well, they don't look like a god. They don't look like goddamn people. And she said, well, you're crazy. So we went off and had a margarita and some nachos. <laughs> it was a really intense shot. And really intense nachos. <laughs> yes, really intense nachos, really intense margaritas, and an apparent encounter with aliens in a bookstore reading communion. Now, I'm just a simple farm boy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can tell when a space alien doesn't want me around, so I'll just see myself out. <laughs> like, Bruce Lee has to be the wildest human being on the planet. <laughs> I, I wonder if, like, there's Conroy did, did any, any audio recordings when he interviewed him. Like, is there an audio recording that exists of Bruce Lee just being, like, I would love to know that. I really would. Just big cause... goddamn eyes. You never seen such eyes. <laughs> like, like a man to emphasize eyes like that. It, it felt like an attack. <laughs> <laughs> it got the hackles up on me for sure. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch out for those hackles, dude. They'll freaking take you down. Oh, you can't let your hackles get away from you. <laughs> No, they they start moving up the back of your neck, and before you know it, they're falling right off your head. Uh, boy. Yeah, I don't know that there's that much more to say about that one. No, just, um, you know, Bruce Lee, not the actor, the, the, the editor and publisher, totally not a nice dude just seems like a tool yeah and i think he works for the same publishing company i have reason to believe he might have been part of a conspiracy to keep elvis's alive theories from hitting the store shelves but that's a story for another time that is a story for once i can back that up with with uh, more material evidence but (laughs) okay do we have anything else to say about that one I think it, I think Bruce Lee has said it for himself. <laughs> he was very emphatic about it. So, <laughs> um, okay. Well, we'll move along then back to Spain. This is what we were talking about at the top of the episode, because uh, when we when you originally shared the alien wearing the triangular sunglasses, hat, and coat, a few people identified it as uh, being from the Prospero. Munoz case in Spain, which I was entirely unfamiliar with. Um, a couple of people have helped me out with that online. Uh, Rea Dixiones Anomalous on Twitter um, forwarded me a little bit of information. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot about the Munoz case in English. So um, mm-hmm. we had a couple of Flying Saucer Review articles about her generally. she's an interesting person because in the late seventies, she started to remember incidents that happened to her as a child and claims to have been abducted at age six or seven in 1947, which is really early for abduction cases. Um, Yep. And it's kind of, kind of crazy that I I feel like I've never heard about this up until recently, but I I don't know how well her story is received in other parts of the world, but uh, right. Uh, the story that we were concerned about was specifically the aliens dressed as as people. So this story takes place in 1954, 
so a significant time has passed since the abduction, which she doesn't remember. So you have to keep in mind at this point in her life, she doesn't remember that happening. And her story is as follows. This was translated by me personally from the book uh, Contacto Entre Dos Mundos by Jorge um, uh-oh. Sanchez. Yeah, Jorge Sanchez. Yep. And um, yeah, so I didn't really, I'm not really sure what happens when you Google translate something. I figured that would get wonky and I know a little bit of Spanish, so I was <laughs> translated it myself. So <laughs> I apologize if I got any of this wrong. Um, in regard to what happened in the fifties, more or less about 1954, if I remember correctly, I was 13 or 14 years old. And at that time had a job occasionally lending a hand with my father's business, a cafeteria in the village of Humilla, more specifically on a street called Canavas del Castillo, number 64. It was known as Fair Street because there used to be a carnival fair there. It was called Bar Europa, and it was located near the Municipal Theater. It was a modest establishment, single tables side by side, located near the major businesses and the town hall with lots of foot traffic. Um, I have omitted some of these because she does put a lot of needless detail in there. So... <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it was a respected local establishment so her father ran the place just kind of a bar or a cafe and um, people people generally liked him and knew who he was and uh, he was modest about it though and didn't consider himself better than other people uh, her sisters would help out at the bar as well and he was very strict about the place being clean and I guess would just kind of like throw bums out if they were trying to like sleep in the vestibule um, <laughs> I guess he was kind of a clean freak. <laughs> um, and you know, so a little bit of a taskmaster maybe, but he just kept a, he was trying to keep a clean and respectable establishment. So, uh, it says, I don't remember the exact day I met them for the second time, but it was around sunset when I was finishing up chores <clears throat> and I went into the office with my father and we were preparing to go home. Suddenly two strange men walked in. I say they were strange men because their height was not normal. They were much too small. At first, I thought they had a physical abnormality, but at the same time, my attention was caught by the strange clothing they wore. They each had coats, like long trench coats and hats, but the result on their small physique looked ridiculous. They looked like kids playing dress-up. They had intended to look good, but the result left much to be desired. It was a poor disguise. (laughs) I love this picture in my mind that I get from it. It's just like, you know... When you're when you're, when you're a little kid and you try to put on like your dad's coat and put his shoes on and just yep. like they're like way too big, you know. <laughs> yep. um, they took seats at the bar, but they could hardly reach the counter because of how small they were. It sounds fantastic, but I could clearly remember the complexion of their faces: very pale, but with a subtle and smooth blue hue. They seemed to be sick, very peculiar, very strange. Very naturally, they asked for two coffees. I turned to tell my father, and he, immersed in his things, immediately came into the cafe. And um, so this part, I didn't know what it meant because it said, turn on the automatic onda, which just means Mm -hmm. walk. So, I mean, I think it means running lights. So this part got a little confusing for me because there were probably, like, low lights that they would turn on just for, like, mood lighting and then, like, the full lighting when they were cleaning up and stuff. So she um, she turned the lights on on the low setting and served them the coffees. 
And at that instant, the two men began talking to each other. Is that her? Yes, that's her. Are you going to tell him something? Are you going to contradict him? No, it's not worth it. He doesn't remember what occurred. <laughs> this is just aliens chatting <laughs> over coffee. Um, I walked back mm -hmm. to the electrical box and flipped the lights on to the full brightness, and instantly the two me men covered their faces and made a fuss, as though the light bothered them terribly. What happened? What's wrong with them? I thought it was very strange. In a few seconds, they pulled coins from their pockets of their coats and put them on the bar. They were very confused when I asked them if they wanted their change. What for? Are you talking to me? <laughs> this is what the alien says. <laughs> like, hey, uh, don't you want your change? Like, what? Me? Who? Me? Change? What? <laughs> next one of them. Who are you talking to? Next one of the men re stretched out his right arm and picked up the coins from the counter. What I saw still leaves me cold. I realized right away that he only had four fingers and no thumb. The four fingers were very bony, long, and strange. This might reinforce the idea that I was dealing with sick people, but the fingers didn't appear normal or human at all. I felt uneasy because of this anomalous situation. They stood up and pushed their chairs back, back in abruptly and turned to walk out the door. A few moments of silence, my father and I talked about the situation we witnessed, and every detail just left us puzzled. That man had the same happen to him that had happened to me, said my father. My father had lost an index finger on one hand in an accident when he was young. It must be difficult for them to find work without a thumb, not to mention their appearance and their height. They could only work at the circus. That comment might seem strange, but he had reasons for saying it. There were traveling circuses then. I remember going to them, but I'm not sure, but I'm sure now with perspective and considering the baffling conversation the men had about me, it's strange that he didn't seem to notice or care. It has given me a lot to think about. How did they know where to find me? Had they been following me since the first encounter? And why? Why am I special to them? Why me? At the same time, I have mixed feelings. Excitement, confusion. It's surreal. But in another way, bafflingly familiar. How is that possible? My mind raced in confusion. What a situation. I don't have anything that would sound like a reasonable explanation. It happened, like I said, no more. As I, as I have often said, the truth far exceeds fiction. So, in that case, it definitely does. It really does. I love the fact that they basically said, like, yeah, don't worry about the old man because he's not going to remember. And, like, the second they leave, he's just like, oh, that's a hell of a thing. That 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 little guy there has no thumb. <laughs> yeah. That poor bastard. Not only is he very small, but he has no thumb. <laughs> It's it's the darndest thing, you know, getting back to that hand morphology, you know, you uh, sometimes you can't remember the hand. Sometimes you can. And sometimes you are sad that they don't have any thumbs. I <laughs> completely understand that lament. Totally. Uh, they must be circus people. <laughs> like, is our aliens interested in us partially because we have that thumb? Yeah, it's all thumb envy. I think so. All thumb envy. Like, I, I mean, I imagine just given uh, from what I remember of the Allagash abductions and the way that uh, the hand morphology of the aliens was drawn, it was like uh, 
I think the best way to describe it is that they had the ability to manipulate their hand, kind of like a claw machine claw, only like a little more precise. They could grip things a little bit better. So uh, that image has never been able to leave my mind because the Allagash abductions uh, haunted me as a child. So. Yeah, I'm really curious how he picked up the coin with no thumb. Yeah. They're just like scissors, fingers yeah, exactly. to pick it up or like scoop it. You know, I don't know. That hand morphology is just, you would imagine it'd have to be, they'd have to have a very articulate hand in order to manipulate anything with it. Because like I, we take it, we totally, um, uh, we totally take uh, for advantage our thumbs. Totally. Oh, not me. I, I, (laughs) I'm thankful every day that I have thumbs and only two of them. I wouldn't want more than that. No, that's that's a bit much. I agree. But yeah, I mean the the um similarities between this and the cigarette buying alien are pretty pretty cool too. Um yeah. the description of the face and the um the hand being such an important part is um I don't know. That's uh, to to me it's a uh, pretty pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, and it's just like uh, it's interesting that these aliens, with the exception of, you know, those, um, uh, with a couple of the other stories, they, they just like, the job is blend in, but blend in terribly. How bad can we make it? Do we, can we, like, is this a performance piece now? Because now I'm thinking it is. Well, right. And I mean, that's what Mac Tony suggests, too, in his book, is right. that they're putting on a show. And they want us mm-hmm. to believe they're aliens for whatever reason, you know. Um, and and like I said, with the whole glamour aspect, the way the Fae are supposed to basically camouflage themselves, um, I think that's suggested in it, too. But why do they reveal themselves to some people, you know? Right. And why are these aliens so bad at it? (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess what we're suggesting now is that they're not bad at it because they just wanted to present themselves. In that case, to Prospera, for whatever reason, they just wanted her to see them. But the father would have no memory of it. Right. And uh, to me, that also, like, makes me wonder, why do you want to be seen and then yet, like, Please don't interact with me. I just want you to see me. Don't talk to me. Don't turn on the lights. Don't talk about my hand morphology. Just don't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's another case, too, where the lights seem to hurt him, you know? So, it is. I, I don't know. A lot of weird commonalities. I wonder what the coins there look are. like. I, if you know, used the same coins as the one-eyed, uh, the one-eyed little green man. Right. Is probably very confused about how they made change for it. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, this guy just like totally denied like wanting change. Like, almost like, why would you do such a thing like change? That? Mm. Change. <laughs> it's like a, it. It's like an insulting thing. Like, it's just change, bud. Yeah. Take it easy. Yeah, maybe he thought the insinuation was that he was poor. Like. Oh, you think I need the change? I don't need the change. <laughs> I don't above the I don't change. need your pity. 
It's Munoz. <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's no way to go through life. Just saying. Aliens, don't be that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we really need to cool the temperature with a lot of these. I think Elvira is the most chill one of the whole bunch, you know. And and she had and she was terrifying to men, you know, for someone who is terrifying to men, she has been the most chill, just kind of like hanging out within communities of people. Um just yeah, no. And not eating raw red meat or yeah, that's important. Just like blending in, talking about mundane things, getting in or out of a UFO, <laughs> just totally normal things. She wasn't criticizing books that she saw in the store. Exactly. Like grilling people with gigantic eyes. Right. Like, to me, it's hilarious that you would want to appear to the editor of a book like that 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 is that seems like seinfeldian to me like the the high strangeness seinfeldian type of encounter that i i come to appreciate the more that i read ufo and and alien reports yep Yep. (laughs) kramer what's going on in there (laughs) it's all wrong jerry it's all wrong (laughs) <laughs> Their eyes, Jerry. They're big. <laughs> <laughs> They're goddamn big. <laughs> uh, Kramer as a UFO <laughs> half ducked. Oh, he would make a great UFO nut. <laughs> totally. Oh uh, boy. Yep. Okay. We need to hit up the people at SNL or something and make this happen. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make it happen. Uh, okay, so we got one more story, um, which this one's unique because it's sent to us by somebody we know personally. Um, yep. This is Janet Borkowski's story, and Janet is a friend of mine on Twitter. She's a psychic um, tarot reader, has a lot of cool stories and uh, experiences. And this one was during her time working as a Costco sales rep, which is a callback kind of to the... Um, the Kmart reference that we had earlier. Yep. yep. Um, so she sent it to me as, hi, Matt, my aliens disguised as human story happened when I was working at Costco as a sales rep. One of those people who stand by the door, the exit, I was bored on a Monday and decided to look at people and decide if they were aliens or not. I really don't know why it popped into my head to do that, but I really regretted it. And I mean, I, I don't blame her because it sounds like a boring job and mm-hmm. I would have to imagine there's a lot of weird looking people that come into Costco. So yes, within five minutes, I saw a strange small man pushing one of those huge shopping carts full with one kid sitting in the cart and one walking alongside the man looked human, except very short and moved very robotically. The kids looked nothing like him being super pale blonde and having a football shaped head. So he got a bunch of hair. Yes, that's what she says. <laughs> like kind of like the cartoon character hair on Hey Arnold. <laughs> yes, or Stewie from Family Guy. He's kind of got a football head. You know. Yes, um, he does. Bo- both the kids turned to stare at me as he walked by. I was busy trying to get people's attention as my job, but those kids just looked at me as as if they knew I could see them as something else. 
The man pushing the cart ignored me uh, as he did everyone else. They had no sooner passed me when a guy roughly seven feet tall walked by. I looked at him at his face, and as soon as he passed me, I couldn't tell you what he looked like. But there were another couple of regular customers who seemed pleasant, but I never saw them interact with anyone else. The younger one wore leg braces, and the older used a powered cart. They had no discernible gender, but really didn't have well-formed features that they always seemed very pleasant. That was in the small town of Woodburn, Oregon. So, thank you, Janet, for that that story. <laughs> yes, yes. Not only that, uh, Woodburn, Oregon, is the place for alien spotting. It's the place. Yeah, just set up at a get Costco, your... and you could get paid yes. for it too. All you have to do is welcome to Costco, and <laughs> yes, um, yeah. So. <clears throat> I wonder if they sell wigs. That's that's important. Do they sell them in bulk? I don't know. Uh, it's worth looking into. It's worth looking into to see if you could get yourself a poorly, um, you know, put together disguise from Costco. Yeah, I will have to look into that because it's got to be possible. Yeah, I don't know that we have Costco's around here. I'm not familiar with the store as much, but I imagine it's like one of those big box stores, you know. I've been in one once, I think. And uh, yeah, it was nice. Um, it was a totally alien experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we got football heads, snake heads. Uh, we got a little bit of everything going on in this this episode. I, I hope people have enjoyed this little uh, catalog of poorly disguised aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and if you and if you know of any more poorly disguised alien stories, please send them to us on Twitter. Yeah, particularly if they're stacked one on top of the other, because that's a classic yeah, trope that, is... that we need to <laughs> we need to find. Record yeah, of. yeah, and uh, it is uh, like th- this is a a topic that is endlessly fascinating, endlessly hilarious, and uh, I feel at some point it's something that we'll have to return to because I, the more stories are going to have to come out of the woodworks uh, at some point. Oh yeah. So, I have a feeling if uh, we had looked, if we had kept looking, we, we just would, we would have had hours and hours worth of material. <laughs> so yes, there will be a, a volume two in the future at some point. Um, there's, there's another person that we need to uh, thank for helping us out on this. And that's uh, Neo Rex at Neo Rex four on Twitter. Uh, just a, a great account. If you want to follow to just get random like alien and UFO sightings, just uh, an absolutely great resource on Twitter. Yeah, for that. He actually has a, um, he has a huge database of, of witness yeah. sketches and descriptions and, and it's, it's pretty great. So, yes, it is fantastic absolutely great so uh ap thanks again for coming on man like this is this is a joy to talk about aliens this was a lot of fun and i'm glad i was inspired to draw some cartoony versions of of these stories (laughs) because i don't draw i don't draw all that often so that every once in a while i'm like you know what i gotta draw that i have a picture in my mind and needs to come out (laughs) yes yes uh so uh remind the folks again where they can follow 
you and and like all the craziness that you have going on in your life? Uh, well, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. It's where I'm most active. Um, APstrange.com. Uh, if you're not tired of the sound of my voice yet, I've been co-hosting uh, The Eternal Void, but with Jazz, along with Shell. Um, we have an episode mm-hmm. up now with Alan Greenfield. That's a trip. People seem to be enjoying that one. Uh, and we have plenty more coming. So uh, probably about twice a month is what we're shooting for. So, Yes. Go check out all of that. Um, and for us... You can find us on most podcasting apps, and if, if you'd like to help us out, leave you know a rating and review. It's it's helpful. It's nice. It, it gets us uh, attention and everything. And uh, sharing the show with a friend helps um, as well. So uh, if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to Patreon.com/slash Your UFO Guy, where for three dollars a month you can get early access to the main episodes as well as bonus episodes that are exclusive only to Patreon. Uh, please check out my other projects. I am part of the Order of Podcasters, where I play uh, a George Norrie-like character that has a radio program, and he's also a chip beef magnate. Who doesn't? Who wouldn't love that? <laughs> and uh, Rolling Through the Realms, uh, you know, these are all uh, tabletop role-playing uh, podcasts, so uh, go check those out. Uh, special thanks goes out to our wonderful patrons, who helped to keep us afloat here at the Our Strange Skies podcast. And speaking of float, uh, special thanks to the band Floats for the use of their song UFO for the intro and outro to this program. Um, special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our fantastic new logo. Uh, this is like a, a the dream logo of me running away from an alien who just seems to be wanting to ask for directions. They look confused. It's great. Uh, if you have seen the main logo uh, artwork change for the show, uh, that it was Megan that did it, and it's fantastic. Um, and also special thanks to the great Desdemona. She does. She did our, our last logo, but she also does our T-shirt designs too. So uh, if you want some merch, check out the link tree uh, in the show notes for more. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or while perusing the shelves of your favorite bookstore. In gray, we trust.
Media.